Hello, everyone. Today is October 28th, 2021. I'm here with Jan Farley. Jan is the lead broker for San Diego Living Real Estate. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Jan. My pleasure, Karosh. How long have you been a real estate agent? Uh, since I was 19, so uh, a few years, <laughs> 40 plus. What, how, and has the whole time been in San Diego? No, I was in the Bay Area in the entire 90s um, and later part of the, the 80s. Okay. And then I came back to San Diego. You were originally from San Diego? Correct. Okay. I am a native. Nice. How, how is the San Diego? So you've been in the San Diego market for the last 20 or so years? 20, 21 years, yes. Okay. How, how has it been? It has been, uh, over those 21 years, um, it has been sort of a roller coaster. Um, in the early 2000s, uh, it was kind of quiet. Um, there were a lot of listings on the market. It's very, very what we call normalized. Um, and then around 2003, we started to see this rapid rapid increase in pricing with multiple offers and bidding wars and um, crazy things happening uh, up until about mid-2007. Um, after that, we had the crash of 2008, which lasted basically into 11 and 12. Um, we started really getting recovery in 2013 from that. And then it's been up since then. How has COVID affected real estate in San Diego? So the when we were first locked down in March, around the 15th of March, 17th, somewhere in there, um, real estate just quit because we were not on the essential list of businesses. So there were approximately two months where really there was no real estate activity going on. Uh, they were encouraging us to sell home sight unseen most of us didn't want to do that. That is fraught with problems later on down the line, and there are some lawsuits going on about that now. But California Association of Realtors really went to bat for us and lobbied and got us deemed essential about mid-May. So starting at about the end of May, first part of June, there was a lot of pent-up demand uh, from those two months, and the market incredibly took off. Wow. Is it any different this last year than say, because when you describe 2003 to 2007, where there were these bidding wars, it seems pretty similar to what's been going on over the last year or so. There are bidding wars, but the difference is back in 2003 to 2007, there were a lot of listings. There was there was a lot to buy. You had choices. You could go look at a lot of different uh, areas, neighborhoods, condos, homes. But in this market, we have a, we have the lowest listings that we've ever had, the lowest number. Oh wow! And by what metric do you find that out? Um, we have a. a source called InfoSparks that 
monitors all the metrics for the entire state. Uh, it's pretty cool because you can tailor it to your county, your city. You can do single family, multiple family, all kinds of different metrics. Um, just the county in general, we have under 2,500 listings for the entire county right now, which is the lowest level we've ever seen it at. Wow. What, what do you think the reason for that is? I think a lot of it is COVID um, related. Part of it is that we have underbuilt in this state for the past 20 years, uh, the number of homes that we've needed. We have new household forming all the time, plus people moving here from other states for their jobs, et cetera. And we have, they feel that we have basically close to 2 million homes in deficit of what we need. So that's number one that's been going on a long time. Number two, uh, because of COVID, some people just haven't wanted to sell. They haven't wanted to have people through their homes. Uh, so that's a factor. And another factor basically is the rent moratorium as well. There were uh, a lot of people that wanted to sell their tenant occupied homes and they really couldn't do it because they couldn't have the tenant leave. So it was really nebulous trying to buy a tenant occupied home if you didn't have any idea of when you were going to be able to get them to move. So it's, it's kind of a three pronged thing that caused this lack of listings. Uh, we, I thought we were starting to see more, but we really aren't um, seeing any more right now yet. October might be a different story. My stats only go through the end of September, so it's kind of I have to wait until the 31st to see how October did. Okay. Wow. The is the when did the rent moratorium end? It ended statewide September 30th. There are cities and municipalities that still have their own rent moratorium. San Diego County does not have one. Um, it, they had their own, but it expired mid-August. So when the statewide one expired, then that opened up this avenue so that landlords could begin to move forward. And that's the reason you expect it to pick up a bit? I believe so, yes. We've seen a little bit more activity. And uh, interestingly, we've been seeing a few more days on market, which is quite an indicator of where pricing is going to go. In what I always you, say that if, if it's on the market for two weeks, it's overpriced because everything sells so quickly uh, with this lack of inventory. So um, our days on market went up just a tad bit. We were at about six and now we're at about 10. Okay. And how long is that, ex that increase? Was that over the last three months? That, uh, that is that has been happening ever since uh, COVID. Okay. Got it. Yeah, it's it's insane. Um, <laughs> it's great for sellers with the multiple offers. There's there's not in, much inventory, so you are getting a lot of multiple offers. But I have seen in my own experience and in talking with a lot of agents that. Uh, we're getting fewer multiple offers, fewer offers than we were during uh, last summer. Okay. 
Wow, that's interesting. So it's a three-pronged dilemma that we're currently in with the lack of inventory. It's California in general Correct. has not built enough homes. The, what was the second one? The second one was COVID itself. So I'm, COVID I'm itself. assuming that one's going to start easing. Although okay. uh, some sellers still are very um, cautious. Yes, that's understandable. Be, you know, yes. it's just something that you know relays through our mind, even with the vaccine. This sense of caution after the last you know two years, nearly now that we've had. Right. And the the third part was the moratorium, which is being lifted. So yes. the last two seem to hopefully you know at least be on upward trend in regards to a seller's ability to or you know a homeowner's ability to sell their home if so desired yes especially in san diego county i know la still has a pretty draconian uh, eviction moratorium and i believe san francisco does as well but san diego um we should see um, an uptick of listings here what is Los Angeles's and San Francisco's moratorium? Is it indefinite? I'm sorry, could you repeat that one? Is LA's and San Francisco's moratorium indefinite? It has an end date, uh, but I believe it's towards the end of 2022. Okay, wow. Yeah. That is a long time. It is. I'm sure there are lawsuits from the Apartment Renters Association and probably other associations uh, trying to rectify that. But honestly, that that will really hurt mom and pop landowners who really need to sell their property and just can't. It seems that that would wreck the, you know, the least wealthy of homeowners, whereas the more wealthy conglomerate homeowners or individuals who have a large real estate assets, you know, they can hold on, they can withstand that. But then, like you said, the mom and pop, it's just they have, you know, one or two rental properties and those are their, you know, retirements possibly. Right. Yeah, it seems like every time I read an article about this, the misconception is that landlords are big apartment owners and they own corporations who own huge amounts of property. But the California Association of Realtors estimates that 75% of rental properties are just single, single people who own one, maybe two properties. So until that misconception gets cleared up, um, I think we're still going to see some of this. That's a huge misconception. Yeah, yeah. And especially in this state. Absolutely, yeah. And it kind of paint landlords as evil, greedy, <laughs> and really they're not. They're just they're just trying to. A lot of people have these properties as their um, their retirement plan. And, you know, they're just having to make decisions based on whatever the facts are. If they can make their payments, great. If they can't, they'll have to, they'll have to punt. 
that well I'm, that's how it looks it sounds you know it doesn't seem very great but that, that is how it, the outlook seems for a lot of homeowners right now there is still some rental assistance going on um, basically in individual cities um, just had one tenant who qualified for four months of future rent so um, hopefully there are still some assistance programs like that available okay so at least then the tenant has something where they can provide the landlord instead of just the landlord having to take the loss correct they paid it directly to the landlord which was great oh wow yeah okay that's that is great that's the city of Chula Vista in case any of your listeners are interested wow I think <laughs> it was very easy to qualify for okay that's that's good to know wow that's those I'm glad San Diego lifted that the more the moratorium on rent I think that's gonna have huge repercussions for LA and San Francisco absolutely I think yep I think we'll start to see unless there is some sort of help and we're kind of post COVID now I'm sure there's will be the it seems like there's not that much incentive for legislators to provide any help but a lot of homeowners, uh, renters, tenant, uh, landlords haven't received rent in more than a year and a half. And, you know, I don't see how they think that's tenable. But I think we're getting past where they're going to do some help for that. Hopefully. Is there assistance on mortgage as well? Or what? So say a... a a tenant isn't paying their rent and then a homeowner still has mortgage do they have any you know are they able to delay their mortgage payments still or is that yes the um, original forbearance program didn't last very long it was about a six-month program back in 2020 and I think most of those ended towards November of 2020 okay. so um, yeah, there was not a lot of help given to to homeowners and landlords. That is, that's very very tough for a homeowner. I couldn't right. imagine renting out a property and then having to take on that loss for. It would be nearly on. I don't. I, I literally can't imagine how I could afford that. And same here. Um, uh, there, there was some help but i don't think a lot of people realize that they might qualify for the eidl sba loans as small landlords i don't think most people realize that they could have possibly um that would have helped but it it's money you have to pay back and that's kind of kind of a two-edged sword i mean now you've got two loans so <laughs> yes and oh that yeah that is a double-edged sword and it's not, yeah, that's really tough. So going back to the first prong, you said that California has an underhousing problem of nearly 2 million homes? Correct. 
and you said a lot of that was instantiated over the last 20 years yes how was how is how was that done that is mostly a result of what we call nimby not in my backyard um People are all for building, but they they want to keep their communities the same way it is now. They love their little community. They like having vacant lots around them sometimes. Um, and uh, so a lot of times it's very difficult for anyone to build. Um, besides the fact that building permits and fees are, are staggering, um, it's hard for an individual to build and it's even harder for a developer to build. They estimate that 40% of the cost of a new home is fees, permits, unrecoverable. It's, it's not the cost of building the home. So that's one of the other reasons that they have to really take into consideration what they'll be able to sell that home for before they start building it. And it just makes it a lot less affordable here. Um, California just passed, uh, we've been, they've been trying to remedy this by allowing people to build what we call ADUs or accessory dwelling units, granite flats, if you will, to make it much more easy for them to do that so that there's more rental housing available. Um, and the state also just passed, uh, uh, another statute where you can basically split your lot, build another unit on what one lot and two units on the other lot you just split off. I don't think that's going to have a huge impact. Most of us don't have that much land on our lots, so I don't really think it's going to be a huge impact, but it will help a little bit. Um, so what I do see also is you are not getting a lot of condos being built unless they're luxury. and. Mostly that has to do with the construction defect laws that we have in this, in this state. Uh, it's a 10-year liability, and I've lived in about three HOAs, and all three of them have sued the developer in about year nine, you know, for some defect that they found. And so developers are a little leery about building condos now. If they do build them, they will hold on to them for 10 years, rent them out, and then sell them. So... Uh, that's another issue. A lot of our problems in California with building have to do with laws, permits, fees, things like that. Wow. What types of permits and fees? Do you know any particular so, ones? There are school fees, um, especially, so most of our building in San Diego County is going on down in Eastlake, Chula Vista area. And when you start a new development, there may not be a school in the area. So the, we have, they have to, they pay some school fees to help start that. They have to provide parks um, and then building permits in general, uh, water meter permits, sewer, all of that is really, really expensive. The cities make a lot of money off of those permits and fees. So, um, it, it makes it prohibitive. And it makes developers weary of investing in any sort of building projects. Right.
except for high end. I mean, they figure they can make the money on high end. Uh, there is a lot of apartment building going on, but it's it's not an opportunity if you would like to become a homeowner. No, there is a lot of apartment building and luxury apartment building. Yes. Is and what's the reason in particular luxury is being developed? Yes. Well, rents are very high, so <laughs> I think that's okay. the impetus there. Got it. Just a higher profit margin. Right. Wow. Is there any sort of so it's just fees and legislation really that holds developers back because it makes the price of developing way too high, which really affects everyone at the end of the day, renters too. Yeah, it drives up the average price, definitely, or even the minimum price. I think most new developments, uh, I don't think anything starts under 600. I, I mean, you might call that's entry level in San Diego, and I, I don't know that that's actually an entry level price for most people. Six hundred, yes, it's not, and a lot of people who've been used to a standard price. I mean, even over the last three or four years, it's really it's really gone up pretty yeah pretty dramatically. I know there has been some attrition. I was working with several clients who just get, kind of gave up in San Diego and some of them transferred to places like Visalia, places in middle central California that are a lot less expensive. So there, there are some opportunities, but I don't know what they do for work or, you know, if you, if you work in biotech, for instance, probably there's nothing there for you to do. So it's, it's not an opportunity for everyone to do that. No, it's not. And as long as there's, you know, the uh, a shortage of supply, it's really going to be the people who are at the bottom of the barrel that are going to struggle. And, you know, it, it really affects the poorest people the worst. It absolutely does. Do you see any remediation of this? Any elite, you know, sort of light at the end of the tunnel coming or does it seem like this is more or less going to be the way business is done for the next five years? I wish I did but it seems like because of COVID and lack of revenue that was coming into the county and state level and city level um, they're just dreaming up more ways to tax housing. Um, San Diego just passed uh, we're, we're, we're trying to get them to reconsider, but they just passed uh, a vehicle miles traveled tax that will seriously impact the price of new homes that are out in the outskirting areas. Um, Fallbrook, North Escondido, um, Alpine, anywhere that is further away from the city center they are tacking on this vehicle mile travel tax and we estimate it could add 250,000 to the price of a home in those areas wow yeah that's like i, I kind of want wow that yeah. is terrible 
It is, and um, the state kind of authorized this, but and they had two different ways of looking at it. But San Diego decided to take the most, <laughs> the most revenue gathering approach to any of them, and um, hopefully, uh, there's there is a lot of opposition to this, and hopefully, uh, we'll be able to get get this reconsidered. But at this point in time, it looks like we're going to be stuck with that. How, what, what does it, an opposition to that look like? Uh, well, lawsuits, um, you know, the, there's the thought that this disproportionate, disproportionately will, will affect minorities, um, which can tend to live in more outskirts areas. And so I think, you know, as a fair housing issue, uh, we might be able to get something done there. It seems that's an obvious, obvious um, contradiction to the law or, you know, it's, you know, the most impoverished people have the longest commutes generally. Correct. And, and, the, and the issue with that is, too, additionally, it's, it's not going to really be based on how many miles you actually travel. So, for instance, if you live in uh, Temecula and commute into San Diego, you're not going to be faced with this tax because it wasn't added onto your house to begin with. <laughs> so it's, it's really not fair. It's not, there's no way to make it fair. And you may not even commute if you live in Fallbrook. You might actually work in Fallbrook. So, you know, you were disproportionately taxed. It's kind of like taxation without representation. Absolutely. My, you know, I work remotely. It, and what if I wanted to live in East County? You know, right. you wanted to live in Alpine. And I want to do it because I, I can get a lot of land for cheap. And I don't have to travel anywhere, but then you know who's, where where does this arbitrary location of centralization come from? Uh, they they have a formula, and uh, a lot of a lot of it is rural. Um, east, like Hamul, that area uh, is going to be impacted, um, and north, like north of Escondido, will be the most impacted areas. Wow. That's I understand because then they're saying, you know, the west side of San Diego, you know, especially probably from La Jolla to downtown is the most central location. But you, know, you can live in that you know, town north of Escondido and right. work remotely or you can just even just go into Escondido for your work. Right. So really, this is going to impact future building. It's it's just plain and simple going to do that. If they if the builder doesn't feel they can sell the house for enough to make that up, then they're not going to build it. Wow, that's and those are the areas that where do you think those are the areas that can use the the most building? Yeah, yes, um, we have a lot of vacant land between Escondido to the north and Vista to the west, to the east, um, that really could be developed. Okay. And it, this will probably forestall that. Correct. Wow. That's sad. 
It is, it is. And we have low interest rates right now, so some of those prices are affordable, but when interest rates go back up to the, what they you know, typically are, closer to four or 5%, they won't be affordable. Do you see a time where the, the do you see the interest rates going back up anytime soon? Uh, the Fed signaled yesterday that it wouldn't be going up this year. Um, they seem to be concerned about inflation, but I think they're more concerned about the jobless rate still at this point in time, um, especially California. We continue to struggle with more unemployment while the rest of the country seems to be normalizing as far as their unemployment rates. Um, so I think they're kind of weighing those two things between each other. Is California struggling with its unemployment? Yes, we've had, we're increasing our unemployment rates when other states are decreasing. Um, wow. It's interesting because the, the, the experts really had a, they had a, an opinion why that was happening, but it, it's kind of blown out of the water now. They, they, they are struggling with figuring out why that's happening. Um, honestly, I believe that businesses are still going out of business. Um, they struggled and held on as long as they can. So I think we're eliminating jobs still in California, um, being that our lockdown and, you know, our, um, measures went on a little longer than they did in other states and even though those lockdowns and measures have been lifted there's still repercussions that are being felt today and will probably go on for a while now yes and uh we have this uh employment issue also i it's 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 very interesting I'm sure somebody will study this and we'll figure out what's really happening at some point. But we have restaurants closing because they can't hire enough staff. Um, and yet the unemployment rate keeps going up. And I don't know if people moved to other areas where it was more affordable. And so they're not taking some of these jobs. Um, people moved out of state who were employed in these areas possibly. I, I think we're just, it's going to be a while before we sort that out to, to see what actually is happening. But it, it's kind of disturbing that we still are losing this many jobs. That is disturbing, and especially considering the rest of the country seems to be recovering. Correct. Has, how is real estate in the rest of the country compared to California? Uh, it, knock on wood, <laughs> it's been really great. It's been, uh, it's been difficult to get buyers into homes, but it's, it's been brisk. And, um, I think it's going to stay that way since we don't have, you know, a lot more housing being built. People still want their part of the American dream. They still want to own a home. And, um, if we could just get some more affordable homes built, I think uh, that would really help our economy. Um, they say that for every home that's sold, it creates 2,000 little tiny transactions or some big ones. People buy new flooring, they buy a new couch. 
somebody buys a congratulations card. Um, housing drives the economy, and so we, we really need to make sure we have enough housing. Yes, it. we do need to make sure we have enough housing. And it's not always necessarily intuitive to how what we do can have impacts to the poorest people and what Correct. seems like it could be you know helping the most impoverished of us is actually just you know a vicious cycle of no it it affects them the worst and they're the ones who suffer usually if it's a bad policy everyone suffers but right. it tends to be the most impoverished really feel the worst consequences right which is usually opposite of the intent exactly. I, I know that the eviction moratorium was meant to protect this class of people who are probably seen as lower socioeconomic but you know it really didn't help a lot of people because everyone froze in place and there was nothing to rent <laughs> because there everyone froze in place. Uh, so, and no new rentals were coming on the market because of the eviction moratorium. So really, it really didn't help the people they, they hoped it would help. It, it helped a little bit, but it, it didn't have the impact that they hoped it would. No, it's, no, it didn't. And it seems that we're gonna have to live with the consequences for a couple more years. Yeah, I believe so. Wow. So you now are a broker for San Diego Living Real Estate. Correct. How how has that been? How has that journey been? <laughs> well, the queen of uh, good timing that I am, we uh, opened just before COVID hit. <laughs> um, so the plan was to gear up property management and um, hire agents who fit with our culture. Um, a lot of that kind of just froze during COVID, but um, we're, we, we still, with the agents that we have, we still made a profit. We expand a little bit. Um, we're doing marketing. So it's, it's doing really well, better than I could have imagined during COVID. So I'm, I feel really blessed about that. That's exciting. Yeah. Wow, especially considering how low the inventory is and how difficult that can make. Yes. Fortunately, I have some very experienced agents and because of their sphere of influence and their contacts, they've still been able to, uh, to have a lot of business. That's awesome. How do you see, you know, moving forward, San Diego living real estate? Well, we kind of want to do, we want to gear up property management and um, expand into some more territories with agents and uh, pro probably a mortgage division at some point. But I'd also like to sooner than later get a commercial division up and running. What is a mortgage division? Uh, that's where we have our, our own mortgage in-house so okay. loans okay so we would have some loan professionals working with us great and a commercial division 
Yes. So that my vision for right now is mostly um, leasing for that. Uh, I am still the jury for me is still out on how commercial real estate is going to be impacted by all this now that so many people are working from home and telecommuting. Um, I do see a lot of commercial vacancies, but um, we'll have to see if that lasts. I'm not quite sure. Okay. And are there's no separate licenses for commercial or or home, you know, family dwelling units? Are there? Correct. The only special licensing would be with the mortgage division. Um, it, until 2008, there was no special licensing for that. But after the crash, they kind of blamed the mortgage professionals <laughs> for that. And so now there is a national license that, that you have to add on to the top of your real estate license for that. It's not okay. that hard to get, but it's, it's another layer that they feel is protection for the consumer, which it probably is. Okay. And when you say, do you believe that the, because that's the traditional thinking is that the 2008 crash was, was a result of negligent loan handouts. Do you, what, do, how do you, what do you believe caused the 2008 crash or what do you think is the big lesson to take out of that? Absolutely. There were, I was in mortgages as well at that time and the, it was irresponsible lending, absolutely irresponsible lending. Uh, you could get a hundred percent financing, not prove your income, not prove you even have a job. <laughs> and it, all you needed was a good credit score. Uh, on top of that, then that wasn't good enough. So they brought out these uh, negative amortization loans. You paid a small payment and the rest of the interest would go on the back and it would increase your uh, balance and it was made it much more difficult to get out of that loan. Um, and uh, they also had prepayment penalties. So that was another problem. You oh, wow. might be able to get out of your home, but you had a six month interest that you had to pay as a penalty. And that was pretty hefty uh, at some of the interest rates we had at the time. Was so that just for that negative? That caused the short sales and the foreclosures, right? All of that. Okay. Be was that a result of the negative amortization? Is that a practice anymore? No. <laughs> okay. And we don't have prepayment penalties anymore. Okay. They made quite a few revisions. They also made it really difficult to qualify for a mortgage. We used to have something we called stated income, which was basically for self-employed. Um, you could provide bank statements that would show an average amount of money coming into your account, and they would use that to be your income. But um, they were allowing everybody to do that, even people with a paycheck. And that just that's just not what it was for. And so we, that's not being done still. And, and it, it's kind of impacting self-employed people's ability to purchase 
but there are now a few bank statement loans coming back in where if you provide 24 months of bank statements, they'll average the income and use that. Okay. That, yes, because I, I purchased, you know, it, within the last five years and one of the huge points was my previous employer over the last two years and my income over the last two years and even, absolutely you know for this last last over this last year i've um gotten a quote and then or talked to a bank about possibly getting a mortgage and mm -hmm. that's a huge point is you know what's your income over this last two years who is your employer how much were you making you know they they want to verify that those are all you know able to meet you know this mortgage you know you're making enough so you can meet that mortgage throughout the next however long absolutely yeah they per they practically want your firstborn child now <laughs> yes yes they do want all his information <laughs> Absolutely. And every bank statement, every little piece of paper, they are very sure that you're going to make your payment now unless something happens to you, But um, which is good. I mean, it, it is. I don't think we'll ever see a crash like that again unless we have massive uh, nationwide um, uh, memory loss. <laughs> Mem it could happen it could, it, it happen. could happen 20 years down the line yes it definitely could hopefully not anytime soon yes wow so is there any way that you think people when it approaches real estate renting purchasing living in in a certain area you know that they you know even for a renter, if they're living, renting in a city, say, and they're going to plan on living in this city for the next 30 years, mm -hmm. is there any sort of mentality that they can go in, you know, even just with legislature, with thinking about how housing works with the economy that you would recommend for them, you know, over the next however long that would benefit them when, you know, their city says, they want to do X, Y, and Z, and they put it to a vote, or th things of that nature. So there are some programs for first-time buyers that are helpful. There's um, FHA loans require 3.5% down payment, but they also have, um, California has another program called CalHAFA, and that will fund that 3.5%. Um, and then Sometimes if you really qualify, you can also get on top of that money for your closing costs. So that's out there. It's not that hard to qualify for. You have to be lower income. Um, and then a lot of cities, I know La Mesa has, Chula Vista has quite a few things. Um, in certain areas all over San Diego, there are first-time homebuyer programs that are administered by the city. Uh, those things can really help. And I don't think they're taken advantage of as much as they should be. Um, and they, the cities run out of money, so it depends on what time of year. It's probably best to try to do it be January and between January and June, just to make sure the the funds are there because they're not replenished again until January. Um, 
definitely a buyer should check into those things. Um, and as real estate professionals, we should become familiar with those so that we can recommend them. Yes. Um, another thing that's kind of happening, and it's not going to help you for an owner-occupied home, but there's this trend that's begun called uh, co-ownership. And you, it's, it's sort of timeshare, but not really. Um, you, uh, uh, several investors will come in together and buy something. And then you have use of it for however, whatever portion you bought into, or mainly they rent it out. Um, and that's a good way to start out if you don't have a lot of money, um, because it will appreciate. And at some point you'll be able to sell your portion. And that might give you the money you need for a down payment on some on something to occupy. Um, I'm really checking into that right now because it's kind of fascinating how they're doing it. Co-ownership of a of family dwelling units. Yes, a single family unit. Okay, and it's usually it's mostly implemented to for rent as a rental right. income source. Yeah, because you would only own a portion of it. They're mostly doing it through the LLC vehicle. So what do you um, mean? You can, you would be an investor in the LLC, and then at a certain point, you, if you wanted out, you would have to sell to your other owners or to someone else, unless everybody wanted to sell. But okay. it's something to that you might, your listeners might want to look into. It might be an opportunity to to start somewhere. I mean, as low as ten thousand dollars, possibly. That's much more reasonable than some other numbers that people you know we're hearing now yeah definitely you said an hsa loan would probably you we could put 3.5 percent down on an hsa loan what is an hsa loan pardon me what is an hsa loan uh fha fha yeah federal housing administration and it's it's only for owner occupied purchases uh, it's also kind of lenient on your debt to income ratio. That's one of the other things that holds people back from being able to buy. You know, yes. the price of cars are high, you know, everything's high. So if you have unsecured debt that you're paying on or even secured debt with a car, um, it might look like you don't have enough money to pay for your home. Uh, the FHA program allows a much higher debt to income ratio. And so it's easy, much easier to qualify for. Plus, they also allow lower credit scores. And those are insured by the federal government. Okay. And what does that mean, insured by the federal uh, government? That means that if, if you default, and the, the FHA will cover the difference between what the house was taken back at and what is still owed by the homeowner. So um, they insure basically 20% of the value of the house. Okay. So it gives bank, because the banks really don't want to loan that skinny of a, (laughs) you know, I mean, if you put three and a half percent down, you don't have a whole lot of skin in the game. Uh, So having the backing of the government to protect you in the case of default, um, that's the whole purpose of, uh, of 
doing that so that the banks has a, an incentive to go ahead and make that loan. And they'll get 20% at the minimum. Yes. Okay, because it's insured from the federal government. So if the mortgagee can't Correct. make those payments, the government will step in. Right. The borrower does have to pay a, a financing fee, a monthly fee. Um, it's mortgage insurance, basically. Okay. Um, that you can refinance out of that when you when you finally have equity and get rid of that. Because it can be another $100, $200 a month. Yes. And But still, that $100 to $200 could be worth it if the down payment you know, for your home that you really want is now Absolutely. affordable. Absolutely. Most people take advantage of it and then they just refinance it when they, when they have the equity to do so. That's definitely something, you know, we as real estate agents should be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good program. Okay. Wow. Is, do you have any recommendations for buyers is even just what do you Hang think in there and <laughs> and usually it starts quieting a little bit this time of year so we're moving into the holidays the holidays are a really good time to buy a home there are fewer people looking um, they're more concentrating on Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, it, but it's historically October November and December are our better time to buy there's a little more selection and you have a better chance uh, since there's less competition of getting your offer accepted. So I would get out there. I'd get myself pre-approved. Interest rates are still under three. And I get out there and get pre-approved and start, start looking at homes. Definitely. My guest today has been Jan Farley. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Jan. Thank you.